Noor, super excited to have you on the Bitcoin source. You know, it's very interesting, right? Like, there's a lot of people in this ecosystem that do great things for Bitcoin. And, you know, I've been doing my homework on you. And I just think that you're like a superhero in the space. Like, you're a multilingual linguist. You know, you're down in El Salvador changing people's lives. And it's just so awesome to actually finally meet you. So could you kind of start off by giving an introduction of who you are to the audience? Uh, thank you. Thank you. You're making me blush a little bit. So, <laughs> um, so I'm, my name is Noura Bawab. I am uh, the interim CEO of Bitcoin Beach Wallet, and I work with the Galloway team. I've also organized the Adopting Bitcoin Conference down in El Salvador, co-organized it with Pretty Flaco in 2021 and 2022, and coming up also in 2023 this year, um, and a contributor to BitcoinArabic.org. Right, so I wear uh, many different hats, but I'd say the main hat that I'm wearing right now is uh, in terms of CEO of the of the Bitcoin Beach Wallet. Like we were talking before we started recording about like how you've found out about me, and it's kind of weird because um, I feel like you know it's always a friend of a friend in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So it's like, once you know one person, then people start saying, hey, check out this podcast or check out this particular person. But, you know, I've always noticed that, you know, it's very limited to see women in the space, you know, building on Bitcoin. So anytime I can have a woman on as a guest, I'm always super excited. So uh, the first question that I have for you, Noor, is, you know, the inception of how you came about sourcing your knowledge about Bitcoin. So whether it was books, courses, or even people in the ecosystem, could you kind of give a backstory on how you kind of got orange pilled? Sure. Yeah. Um, I got orange pilled, uh, through a friend of mine. So I had a, a pretty good mentor who was, um, who was a libertarian. I would say like back in the days I was working mainly in the tech, uh, industry at founded a startup incubator back in the days. And I worked with um, with an accelerator investment fund that was focused on the entertainment industry. So I've heard about Bitcoin um, fairly early on, I would say, through one of the companies that we were supporting. But it just, you know, passed all over my all through my head. So I couldn't understand anything about it. I didn't understand what the hell they were doing. Uh, didn't understand the concept. And then a few years later, I've um, I've, I've had a, I had a friend who introduced me to it um, and introduced me to 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 how to manage it you know how what is a, how does a seed phrase work etc and then it it sort it sort of clicked from for me because you know the, there is a, I've I've always loved the concept of um, sovereignty you know like being your own sovereign individual but also the liberty to rebuild yourself wherever you go in the world because of my family history and you know the places i've lived in uh in the past be it libya my parents are originally palestinian so you know property rights were not always uh um the, the they were not necessarily the the um they they are a source of trauma, I would say, for a lot of Palestinians. <laughs> so when I understood the concept of of how how Bitcoin works, um, it automatically clicked, and it didn't necessarily the philosophy of it didn't click until also a few years after, um, because for me it was just a technology that you know it might work, it might not work. So I just kept it there and didn't look into it until twenty twenty. And that's when I started diving really deep into the rabbit hole through uh, different podcasts, the Stefan Levera podcast, obviously, uh, Safi Dina Moose, 
um, you know, the Bitcoin standard, the books, etc. So, yeah, it was very slow progression, kind of always in the back of my mind that this Bitcoin thing is is interesting. Um, and then I decided to dive um, with my with I left I left my Fiat world behind in in 2021 um, and moved to El Salvador and didn't look back since. So uh, so yeah, and I'm incredibly grateful for for the work that I'm doing because I think you know the the what else the El Salvador experience is teaching me a lot and the fact that I'm now in a position where I can work with other communities as well uh, that are building their own. Bitcoin uh, citadels, I would say they're the true citadels. It's uh, it's very exciting. It's very um, inspiring to see, like because they, they do the work without necessarily anybody asking them to do it. They're not being paid for it, and it's uh, and they know that in the long term it will benefit everybody. So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, and you know you mentioned talking about not looking back since, and I kind of want you to expound on that because of course I know you're a native of Canada, and you could have easily built a meetup in Canada or kind of started your Bitcoin journey in Canada, but you chose El Salvador for a particular reason. And I've always was curious to know, like when you landed in El Salvador, you know, what was your first Bitcoin experience, whether it was good or bad? Um, I'm not, I, I've lived in Canada for a long time, but I'm not native from there. I've lived around in, in a lot of different places. I stayed in Canada for 15 years and I've always kept my, my, um, my Bitcoin experience kind of very private uh, for many different reasons. And then, um, in 2021, I guess I decided to take the leap because, you know, I, I couldn't think about anything else. I couldn't, you know, focus on anything else. So it was like, okay, let's, uh, let's freaking do that. And then, you know, I, that sometimes you have like opportunities on a silver platter that comes your way and you just can't say no. And I've reached out to the Galloway team because they were organizing the adopting Bitcoin conference in El Salvador at the time. Um, and I offered my help. So they, they essentially gave me a week to go down there and um, and help organize a conference that was happening in two months. So I was like, you know what, let's 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 do it. Might as well do it. And you know, if something comes out of it after, then great. And if nothing comes out of it, then um, then I would have tried, right? So and it was once I landed in El Salvador. For me, it was almost like we're we need to help this country. Right. Like that, that was kind of my, I was on the mission. I was, we were very mission driven, even with the organizing of the event, like pretty Flacco, um, is, he's the most, one of the most principled Bitcoiners I've ever met in my life. And I have the privilege to work with. So, um, it was, it was less, we need to make this event as successful as possible because El Salvador kind of needs it, um, bringing Bitcoiners to the country, but also, you know, help educate the country because the, the most of them, three months ago, I have no, I have never heard of Bitcoin before. And so my first experience there was, um, was obviously like, as soon as I landed, I wanted to go somewhere to pay in Bitcoin. Um, and I connected with a local Bitcoiner, uh, a teacher at a, at a school, actually, he's a, he was, a, I think, a, a biology teacher at a local school that I met on Twitter, went out for coffee, and I paid for my first coffee in Bitcoin. And that was like, a pretty exciting moment. Uh, because it worked seamlessly. Um, they were using, um, they were using a good service, so it worked really well. Um, and we sat down and I will always remember that moment. I was just sitting down having my coffee using lightning. And obviously, you know, a few days later I went to Bitcoin beach because, you know, we, we can't discard the fact that all of the El Salvador experience wouldn't have happened if the, if the, if Bitcoin beach didn't, didn't take that 
uh, leap of faith into building a Bitcoin circular economy in Azante. Um, so obviously I went there and I was absolutely amazed by how well everything worked and how easy it seemed for everybody to just use it. And, you know, they, they, they didn't, I wouldn't necessarily say they were, they were all Bitcoiners and they all understood what it is, but they used it as a tool that it's supposed to be. And they were, um, and it's, it, in talking to people there and kind of understanding what is it that made them accept it to begin with, um, and, and the sort of problems that it solved for them that are now we're seeing more and more in documentaries and in interviews that are being mentioned more often, right? Like the fact that there was no way to get, uh, there, there's no bank, um, branch in, in a town like Azante of 5,000 people. There is no point for the bank to have one. It's not, it's not, um, cost effective for them to have one there. So with Bitcoin, they managed to create this, um, this ecosystem where, you know, they're, they're, they're not reliant necessarily on, on, uh, on the traditional system, but they can still, you know, progress in the, the, the current economy, right. In the modern economy, which was fascinating. And, and I always look at Bitcoin Beach as like a microcosm for the bigger purpose of Bitcoin. And, you know, Bitcoin is kind of subjective, like it means different things for different people. And like for me personally, Bitcoin is freedom money. It allows people that are coming from disenfranchised or, you know, underserved communities to actually have the freedom of their financial you know, abilities to do things. And I'm sure that that's kind of aligns with your passions and, you know, you being so passionate about Bitcoin beach, I've always wanted to know and like, take a step back and say like, you know, how did you go about getting involved with Galoi and like having a Bitcoin job? And do you believe that, um, a Bitcoin job finds you instead of you finding it? That's a good, that's a good question. So the way it happened is I was looking for a Bitcoin only, uh, job for a while. And because of my profile, I'm not a technical person. I'm a business person and we are a dime in a dozen, right? So I knew that I had to put in some proof of work somehow. Um, and I think when I, when, and I started reaching out to different companies, um, in Canada at the time there was, there wasn't a lot of options, at least not Bitcoin focused only. So, and most of them were already fully staffed. So there was no opportunities there. So I started looking outside and I've, I had known about Bitcoin beach, the Bitcoin beach initiative for a while. And, you know, I started doing a little bit more research and this is how I found out about Galloy. I reached out to Nicholas on Twitter and then one, one thing led to the other. And I was, I was sitting down in an interview and they sent me down to El Salvador. So the, the initial, the initial part was just like, okay, let's, let's just focus on the event for now. And then we'll see what happens later. And that was kind of my opportunities to put in, um, the proof of work, uh, which I think everybody needs to do somehow in the, in the Bitcoin space, right? Like, yes, you, you, you do get people through recommendation and that's how, you know, um, most of the connections happen, but you do also get noticed with the work that you do and the amount of effort that you do. And it doesn't matter how many, um, followers you get, like just what you told me at the beginning, like that was very, very heartwarming and I appreciate it. And so at the, at the end of the day, I, um, I continue, I continued with them because I love the work that they do. And I believe in the mission of Galloy and I believe in the mission of Bitcoin beach wallet, right? Like what's not to like. So Galloy is building the infrastructure, uh, for anybody to be a sovereign organization and run their own Bitcoin bank. So, uh, that's a great mission and Bitcoin beach wallet is trying to be the number one, um, wallet that anybody anywhere can use, 
um, and progress through their Bitcoin journey, right? With the with the learning section, with you know some integration with uh, with Seed Signer eventually, and uh, the other features that we're working on that the team uh, at Galloway is working on is going to allow anybody to get onboarded into Bitcoin uh, with the right foot, right? So they're not necessarily getting thrown in a in a in a casino and trying to figure out figure it out from there right so you start with uh, and there is a learning integrated which is awesome so pretty flaco has worked on additional questions that will be added in um, in future releases of the app where people will literally be diving into the rabbit hole through uh, through the application while using it in practice to send and receive transactions and you know through the map they can find out where they can go and spend their their Bitcoin, so it's um it's really a fantastic product, and it wouldn't have been that good if it wasn't for Nicholas's. Also, he took a leap of faith in settling in Ozonte for a while to build this wallet for the people with the people, right? So he didn't build it from his office uh, or or at home somewhere in in the West. He actually moved to Ozonte to understand the need of the people and then build the wallet specifically for those needs, and that's why I think. Um, the reward of this of this kind of initiative is paying off because a lot of people are recommending it, right? A lot of people are, you know, using it to onboard others into into the Bitcoin standard. Yes, and you know, earlier I called you a superhero because I just think that you know you're very ambidextrous with your skill set, and you mentioned that you were a dumb of a dozen, but I don't truly believe that. And you know, I've always wanted to know, like, how do you juggle being a director of partnerships at one company and an interim CEO at Bitcoin Wallet Beach? Like, you know, that's just something that's so different and unique. Yeah. So the the director of partnership is kind of like that. That was what I did before. Now I'm I'm uh, I'm focusing only on the Bitcoin Beach Wallet uh, part of the work. It's um, it takes a huge amount of I guess. Uh, for for now, it's it's fine because the event is still a few months away, um, and um, we're getting so much support. I mean, working with Bitcoin is so uh, refreshing because there there are very few no uh divas right like because i worked in the entertainment industry before so the contracts was was striking from the beginning they're always there they're always willing to hold they're always willing to lend a hand they're very forgiving of like minor detail that i i can only seize but the others can so it's a it's um it's been fun to work with with the ecosystem in general because they're so um generous with their time with their knowledge with their know-how uh, so there's never any lack of finding the right person to do uh, something and they want to help. And so the moment you ask for it, there, there's inevitably someone that will that will uh, that will lend a hand. So that's that's been my experience with with, uh, with the event in particular. And then obviously, so I would say 99.9 percent of my my time is focused on on the Beach wallet now. And then I will transition a little bit um, differently um, as time progresses. And then my contribution with Bitcoin Arabic is mainly focused on, you know, um, supporting those that are doing, right? So I'm not necessarily doing the translation myself, but, you know, I try to, to help those that are, are, that are doing the translation, you know, finding new articles that could be translated, finding translators, etc. So it's not taking that much time. And I have great colleagues there as well with, uh, with Arabic Huddle that, you know, is... Um, is doing most of the operation. He's doing a podcast as well in Arabic that is, uh, I have to say, it's fantastic. Uh, it's one of my, my go-tos now. 
and um yeah so so it's it's not it's not about the individual right like there's always a team and there's always people behind the behind us right and with the bitcoin beach wall it's the same like the team that we have is um is uh is very driven uh they're 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 all salvadorians and they uh they appreciate the work i think that uh that bitcoin beach wallet is uh, is doing for their country right so um so yeah it's never it's, you're never alone on these on these things yeah that's i asked that because you know i do so much in the space myself i write i create content um you know i try to do like long editorial blogs kind of like educating people for my community on this stuff and i'm kind of learning now about the appreciation of having a team and not trying to be so you know individualistic about my approach to bitcoin so i love to just hear um someone that's kind of done it before me actually see the benefits of doing that yeah yeah I mean, you, you can't you can't do anything alone. So you have you have to have a team, and you have to have a team as, at least at the beginning that is as passionate as you are. And um, yeah, I think Nicholas did a great job in assembling that team. Um, and uh, with the Bitcoin Beach Wallet now, the 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 team is not only because you have to again. So it's most most Salvadorians don't necessarily know about. Bitcoin before before last year, so finding Bitcoiners on Salvador has been it's been tough. But what I love seeing is how much even with as they're building their knowledge, as they're working with Bitcoin Beach Wallet, they're they're getting increasingly more passionate about it, and it's uh, it's fun to watch. Yeah, and building and building on what you just said there, where you said that it's kind of hard to get El Salvadorians to kind of onboard onto Bitcoin. I wanted to talk about the elephant in the room, which is the Chivo wallet. You know, is it is it true that you know Salvadorians are not fans of it, or is this more of a first world American approach when they go to El Salvador and try to use the wallet? And what can the government do to make it more user friendly, in your opinion? I mean, I, you got to give credit where credit is due. The Chivo wallet was deployed in three months and onboarded 6 billion people in a day. I, you know, I challenge you to find a single startup in the world that's ever done that. Right. So it's, it was never an easy, uh, task to undertake. And I think the re the, the speed at which they've done it was absolutely mind blowing and impressive. So you got to give credit where, where credit is due. The ATMs as well that they've distributed everywhere, um, but running again, running a company with operation at that scale at that speed will come with headaches, right? Unfortunately, um, these kind of headaches when people are less forgiving of when it comes to their money, right? So if they would have rolled out a little bit slower, maybe onboarded little by little, maybe taken six months instead of three. Um, so that they can iron out the kinks, it would have um, helped a lot. But hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? I don't know what I would have done if I was in their situation, and I don't know why they made the decision to go at the speed that they've uh, they've went. Um, so, is there problems with the Chivo wallet? There is some, yes. Uh, I mean, you can't you can get a call a spade a spade, but there are there there are some fixes then. You know, unfortunately, with some fixes, there's other bugs that appear, right? So it's always this back and forth. But there is um, the problem that happened is because of the fast rollout and the kinks that happened at the beginning, people kind of lost trust with it a little bit. Um, so a lot of the people that started using it initially didn't stop using it after all, after after the fact. But 
The other thing that you need to credit the, the Salvadorian government with is that they never actually force the wallet on anybody, right? Like it's not a requirement to use a cheaper wallet. So people can do their own research and find other wallets that work better and, you know, or work for their needs, right? Because Chivo works for a specific type of profile um, and it might not work for everybody. And so they did keep that leeway for people to pick another wallet. That's fine. Um, so, so yeah, it's, what do they need to do? They need to have it, um, it needs to be lightning first, right? Because Chivo is supposed to be used for, for everyday payments, right? For, for people that don't have access to a bank account that are having one, uh, for the first time, be it Bitcoin or, uh, the Chivo dollars. And that in of itself is useful for Salvadorians, especially considering the fact that 75% of them were not banked until 2021. Right. So, um, there is more work, um, and education that needs to happen. And a lot of people are pointing their finger again at the government for doing that. And I also give them credit for not impeding other initiatives to go ahead and start educating other people. So Hope House is doing that. Me Premier Bitcoin is doing that. There's a new initiative now called La Casa del, uh, the, the Bitcoin Embassy. There's La Casa del Bitcoin. There's so many other initiatives that are uh, doing the educational part and slowly but surely they're contributing to uh, to the to 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 improving the the situation. So um, could they do more? For sure, they could. Uh, there is a lot more to be improved on. Um, but I would say, for, again, it is what it is. Now we just need to, you know, um, help educate the people and um, help getting them onboarded. Um, the right way. And there is, there is one thing I think that was sort of an interesting approach, but in the grand scheme of thing, it goes, it always goes back to the proof of work, um, is even with the $30 drop that they've made on all, all, all people of El Salvador, it's not necessarily going to mean, uh, that people will convert, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that just because you gave $30 worth of Bitcoin to people that they're gonna, you know, start using Bitcoin, right? Um, so you have to have, you have to like make it, take it slow, um, and then walk people through it as a journey. Right. So, yeah, but you have to also come to El Salvador to understand a little bit the, the reality on the ground. Right. So people sitting down in their offices and saying, Oh, El Salvador is not, no one uses Bitcoin. It's failing, blah, blah, blah. We're talking about a society that was mostly using cash. Credit cards are barely a thing, right? It's not like in other Latin American countries. So I was in Brazil last week. No one uses cash. Like when I pay in cash, people look at me weird, right? And that's Brazil. It's like, like right next door. And it's the same thing here in uh, in Lima. Barely anybody uses cash. Everybody uses. But El Salvador, no. El Salvador, 75% of people are not banked. 99.9 used cash, right? And then all of a sudden, they're now discovering this magic internet money. It's going to take a while. It's not, it's not an overnight thing. And I think already in two years, what they've done is amazing. And I agree. I think that what they've done is amazing as well. And it makes me think like, and wonder if the government or even not the government, but just people, civilians on the ground will kind of 
create this lightning node server where they can kind of facilitate for the rest of the country. If they have a lot more nodes there, it will make the lightning um, integration a lot more easier for El Salvadorians. I'm sure someone's coming up with that idea. And, um, you know, it makes me wonder about something else too. When you mentioned Brazil, I actually interviewed Renata Rodriguez from Fediment and we talked about Brazil and like kind of like the situations that people undergo there. And when you look at the Middle East and all these other places that people actually need Bitcoin, you do know, you ever foresee yourself going back to the Middle East and kind of like, you know, building something there more concrete and, uh, you know, trying to facilitate Bitcoin? Because I know that they're not as open to Bitcoin as some other places. So I was always curious to hear your thoughts on that. Um, I would never say never, but I also don't know what the future holds, right? So if I, if that, uh, opportunity arises, then yes, absolutely. Um, because yeah, as you said, like the Middle East is a place that absolutely needs Bitcoin. Um, but, but we'll see. I mean, there is, I mean, that's part of the reason why we're, we're doing Bitcoin Arabic.org, right? So it's, it's an all signal kind of site. No, no talking about anything else. It's only about Bitcoin trying to teach people slowly, but surely in the, the podcast that Arabic Huddle is doing now is getting a lot more traction. So, you know, if, if there's something in, down the line that happens and, you know, I, I, I think there is, there is already a lot of openness there, uh, for, uh, for Bitcoin. It's just that the, the, I, I would say the political situation doesn't allow people to come out as much, right? The most intense anons that I know, uh, are Arabs. <laughs> so there might be a lot of, you know, weird, um, Twitter profiles that are, are, uh, you know, there's just somewhere in the Middle East, um, and they're using the freedom money to to uh, to operate in the in the 21st century, right? So, it's um, yeah. I would never say no to this. Like, I love the Middle East; it's in my heart, and uh, yeah. Yeah, even for me as like a podcast host, you know, I've been searching and looking for like Muslim Bitcoiners, people that can kind of talk about this and, you know, really give a bigger explanation. And it's super difficult. And, uh, you know, I understand why, you know, my, you know, I'm first generation, my parents are immigrants to this country. So I understand that there's a lot of different politics that are involved when you're coming from another country, there's regimes, there's governments that have sole control of your, the way you think, what you eat, everything. So yeah, so it's like Bitcoin is kind of, you know, there to kind of disrupt that kind of status quo. And of course, they don't like those things. So, um, you know, I always think think that you're very brave and you're very like strong willed to continue to push this fight of bringing Bitcoin to the world now. So I, I appreciate it. For me, it was always a way to say, hey, we, we, we're here, right? Like if, you, if you're thinking about Bitcoin, you're not alone because it's like, it's kind of isolating when you do it. When Because as I said, like I was, I was, uh, I was very private about my interest in Bitcoin for a long time, and then um, they, uh, and then I realized, well, there is a lot more people out there that speak my language that also might also feel even more isolated than I am. So I felt almost like a a duty to to do it. So yeah, I'm happy, and I'm like the the when I talk to my fellow Middle Eastern Arab Bitcoiners, it's always um, I learn the most from them. I would say. Uh, they're very knowledgeable. They uh, they're just incredibly smart human being, and I'm I'm happy to be able to actually connect with them, even though I've never met a single one of them. Right? Like all the translators that are on Bitcoin Arabic, I don't I don't some of them I don't even know their name. So <laughs> so it's awesome. Yeah. 
So, Nora, like, what would be your call to action? Like, if you had to, you know, describe Bitcoin or, you know, help, you know, some young girl in the Middle East or in Brazil that's, like, interested in being inspired by you, like, what would be your call to action to her to, like, get onto Bitcoin? Um, just get on it. <laughs> um, I guess it's, it, I'm not going to lie, right? Like, it's a, it's a, the space is intimidating, um, even for me. Like, I, I, uh, and I love the fact that oftentimes I'm, I'm not, I feel like, you know, that I work with guys that are super brilliant, you know, I learn so much from them and I listen to them. I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? And I, sometimes I go on Google and, you know, search what the hell is that? Um, and that's, um, and I know that girls generally tend to be a lot more self-conscious uh, about their own ability. And I think that's, um, it's just innate. It's something that is innate in us uh that we can't shake off but you you have to find just reach out to people and you'll realize it's not as scary as it seems from the outside right so if there is a girl out there that is listening and you know who who's um who wants to get into the space i think she she should because she'll realize they're they're the, the, from the outside and then if you, if you only focus on twitter and all the toxicity and stuff like that you might be like oh my god i can't i can't deal with this i don't know if i can what if they lash on to me if you just start talking to people you realize they're 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 so open and so willing to to take the time to teach and you know uh explain things so nor this uh bitcoin conversation has been awesome i learned so much about you awesome um, awesome advice you know i really appreciate it and you know i have a two-year-old daughter so you know maybe a decade from now she'll see this interview and be inspired so i truly appreciate those uh words of wisdom mm -hmm.